Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Generation Collaboration Podcast. We're so excited to be here today. My name is Sanakshi. And I'm Brayden. And I'm super excited about our topic today. It is all about change, both in the queer community and how we can create change through unconventional means. Since growing up as a gay kid in a private Christian school since preschool and living in a super conservative community, just talking about how we can create change within all communities is really important to me. Today we will be talking to Bree Donnelly from Joy as Resistance and Clarice Reichley from the Colorado Youth Congress to share about their leadership stories about intergenerational change in Colorado. Before we jump in, if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media at Colorado Young Leaders. We hope you enjoy this episode of our Generation Collaboration podcast. Flying by the western sea Hi guys, welcome to Generation Collaboration. How are y'all doing today? Hey, good. So happy to be here. We're happy to have you. Yes, super <laughs> excited. <laughs> okay, so I was wondering if we could start with a little bit of like a background on you both. Um, so, you know, Brie, if you want to get started. Okay. My name's Brie. Um, I use all pronouns. Um, I am... Uh, the executive director and founder at Joy is Resistance. Um, and I have lived in Colorado my whole life. I grew up in Castle Rock and Sedalia and Larkspur. Um, yeah, have done a lot of different things um, in the nonprofit world and some community organizing work. Um, and really uh, some important things to know about me are that I'm a slow transitioner. I like a lot of time between things. That's really important to me. Um, I really like spending time in community. That's my favorite thing to do. Um, and joy is a foundational value of mine. So in all areas of my life, jo joy tends to show up. I love that. Is that why you named your nonprofit Joy as Resistance? Yeah. I love that. Thanks. Um, and then Clarice. Yes. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Clarice. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a senior creative writing major at Denver School of the Arts and a member and intern of Colorado Youth Congress for the past three years. And I'm so excited to be here with Brie because I'm also really passionate about delight and I really love writing about delight and things like that as also being a means to navigate emotions in this world. Um, and so I'm really passionate about using stories and using writing as a means for organizing, as an organizing tool, and as a way to bring people together and discuss injustices in the world as well. Yeah, I love that. I love that you both are into the arts a little bit. We can definitely talk about that more later. Um, so if you could turn back time and talk to your 16-year-old self, what would you tell them? <laughs> 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 you, you go. Okay. Well, <laughs> I was 16 only like a year and a half ago. So um, I think that thinking about where we were in the pandemic, I think that in has forged a lot of my identity and how I go through the world. Um, so I'd probably tell my 16-year-old self, like, don't get too comfortable, um, which I think is good in all facets of life. Yeah, I think that's what the pandemic has shown me. Like, complacency can really kill a lot of things. So just surrender to the moment and not really expect anything because you never know what's going to happen. So, I love that. That is like really good advice, <laughs> especially for like an yes. icebreaker. She comes out, is it okay? Yes. 
things. No pressure, Brie. I know. I'm like, uh, yeah, what Clarice said. <laughs> um, okay, so I would have been 16 10 years ago. And I think if I was talking to myself at 16, as like cliche as it kind of sounds, I'd probably say something along the lines of it gets better. Um, and that like, if I could see myself now as like an out, queer, non-binary person in leadership, um, never believing that that was ever going to be a thing for me. I was so angry. I was so like uh, disenchanted with the way everything was that I was like, what's the point of even trying um, to like change a system or, you know, hope for the future? Uh, yeah. So I think I would tell my 16 year old self, like, you're cool now. It's fine. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, things will get better and you're going to learn so much. So yeah. I think that's what I would say. No, I really like that. That's like great advice for everybody to hear is like, it does get better because high school is four years of your life. And it, it seems like such a big deal now, especially like being in high school. It seems like it's my everything. But mm -hmm. I know like as soon as I get out of it, it's just a memory. Like, it, it's nothing, really. It's insane because I feel like, um, especially for me, we put so much emphasis on, like, things we do every single day when there is really this big picture on, like, who we are in, like, one moment in high school or just your high school experience or being a 16-year-old doesn't define you. One thing that I did want to talk to you guys was um, about art. I know you guys both expressed an interest in art and um I believe more specifically, Clarice, you mentioned an interest in poetry. And I also heard a little bit about dancing from Pre. Um, I do love dancing. So uh, speaking more to that, um, you mentioned that you uh, wanted to put an end kind of to oppressive systems through art. And I guess, can you share more about that with us, Clarice? Sure. Um, well, I'm really passionate about, I recently, I mean, it's been many months now, but it feels like it's recent because it's become like how I live my life. But Ross Gay is a poet and also like an essay writer. And he has a book called The Book of Delights that I recently stumbled upon. Um, and just in each one for a year, he wrote a delight every day about the most minuscule or macro or micro things that were really bringing him delight. And that kind of completely revolutionized my perspective perspective on what it means to both because as a black man, um, Roske has experienced like a lot of oppressive forces that are acting against him. And yet he is still able to find delight in such things. And that has really like reframed my perspective of what it means to like exist at intersections of marginalization, but to also be able to find delight in life. Um, and since then, I've been creating a daily delight practice. And it's kind of revolutionized my entire perspective on what it means to be alive in this moment, because there's so much grief. There's so much anger. Um, I know that I feel that often, but then having this delight, it's like the both and, like we're feeling a lot of grief with what we're experiencing, um, but also such beautiful moments of joy, like the spring birds, like that's one of the things that brings me the most joy. So I'd say that's how I'm navigating that um, as a person, not necessarily wanting to bring that into a community as well in the larger scope, but that's for me. So thank you for that question. Yeah. I love that. You talked about your daily delight practice. Mm -hmm. Is that where you like write about like... <laughs> that's what I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I did do it for a while where I wrote about like a thing that that day just struck me as particularly delightful. Um, but now it's kind of taken the form of a gratitude practice a little bit. I don't know. I like it a bit more than a gratitude practice because it feels less like 
committal. Like, it can be like, oh, I just delighted in the fact that, like, someone smiled at me this way. Like, it's just very small, whimsical, wonderful things that really add up. Um, not very poetical, but I think at the end of the year, it's going to be fun to read all of them. So, yeah. No, I really Thanks. like that because that's such yeah. a, like, it's a huge thing talking about mindset because your mindset really defines, like, how your day goes and just being able to find the small joys in life, even if you're going through, like, a hard time, changing that mindset to look at the good things. And then when you look back on it, it's super, like, oh, my goodness, you know, this was this was a good year. And I think we all saw that during COVID, that mindset's a huge thing. So that's, yeah. that's a really healthy practice. <laughs> yes. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Bree, I want to hear about your practice with joy and delight, though, as well. I love this daily yeah. delight. Like, I love an alliteration yes. um, in general, <laughs> like, in any aspect of my mm-hmm. life. So yeah. um, that's so cool. And yes. I really enjoyed hearing you share about that. So I kind of think of playfulness and curiosity as kind of foundational to joy. Um, and I think Uh, positive experiences in general and that those two qualities can lead you to places that you never even could have dreamed um, you could be. And so uh, I would say very similarly, like engaging in playful activities um, or engaging my curiosity in ways that bring me joy. So whether that means like dancing to a new song that I've never heard before or reading something, whether it's on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube or a book or wherever, um, and really taking the time and intention to sit with those things. Because I think um, comparison is the thief of joy, right? That's the the quote. Um, And so I think when you are in your own space, being curious and being playful and being open, it's really hard to be spending any time comparing yourself to other people when you're doing that, um, which I think leads to more joy in Mm -hmm. general. I know. I feel like that's one of the joys of being a kid is that you don't have to worry about anything else and you can just be yourself because nobody is out there to judge you. And I feel like as you get older, that perception and that viewpoint changes. Um, and honestly, like I, um, I'm going to gravitate into this little story, but I have a 10 year old brother and he, He's like your typical everyday playful little kid and um, he literally cares about absolutely nothing, the most carefree individual ever. And the other day he comes up to me and he was like, um, hey, like um, I I heard about this um, like three letter, three letter G word. And I was like, I was like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, I don't know. I can't think of a bad word that starts with G. And then um, he goes, it's G A why? I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> we need to back that, it up there one. for a second. Um, and and then the yeah. other day we were also watching a TV show and in the little like bio of the TV show, it said like LGBTQ plus and he didn't know what that meant. And he started asking me and my mom was sitting there like, oh, like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know how you explain that to a 10 year old. So really like my question is like, what is a good time to like talk about, you know, the queer community and discuss it with kids or friends? Or siblings? I think it's always the right time. Uh, I feel like there's no one who's too young to be understanding certain uh, foundational practices to be able to enter into that conversation with more depth and nuance later. Um, But I feel like if 
you can start having um, conversations about healthy boundaries, about consent, about what love looks and feels like, about what pleasure looks and feels like so much earlier than people think is okay. Um, so I would say like the way that you talk about it should be developmentally appropriate to where the person is and their context in that given moment, but that there's never a wrong time to talk about what that means or that there's variation of a million different sorts on any one of those identities. And it's okay that there are those. And it's actually exciting and makes it more fun to have so many options. No, I really like that because the, the earlier you talk about it, the better, because if anything, we've learned that things like hate and racism and homophobia and all of the bad things of life are a taught behavior. They're a learned behavior. Like it's not something that somebody's born with. So when you talk to a kid that's younger and it's like, hey, you know, this is the queer community. This is the LGBTQ plus community. And that's okay. Like, they are who they are, and that's okay, and you are who you are. And that's a great way to teach kids, like, hey, you are who you are, and that's totally okay. Because as you said earlier, Brie, like, comparison, like, literally destroys joy. So teaching a kid young that who they are is okay, and they don't need to compare themselves to anybody, like, that's teaching them joy later in life. And I think that's amazing, like, yeah. And now I now need to go back and explain it to him. <laughs> I guess if if you were talking to a 10-year-old, how would you explain the queer community and, like, their identity to a 10-year-old? I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. I think, like... No, it's okay. That was my approach, too. <laughs> well, I think, like, I have 10-year-old clients now, currently, mm-hmm. and I don't need to tell them anything about their identity or about what their experience is. Right. I listen to what they have to say and how they are telling me about their identity. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's the, uh, maybe the space um, um, to start having that conversation because they will share with you, you know, like, why are they curious about what that means? Mm -hmm. How how can we start there? And then say, like, do you, like, what feelings are coming up for you when you read that, when you hear that, when you see that? And then going from there, what do you think? Oh, goodness. I don't know. I'm just like returning and thinking about my life. And I'm so thankful to go to DSA. I mean, it's called DS Gay. It's very (laughs) queer, positive, very surrounded by wonderful um, LGBTQ plus people every day. Um, Yeah, I I just remember like as a little kid, um, I had like a picture book and it was talking about different families. It was like, these people have two dads and these people have two moms. And I mean, it was not like anything monumental. um, And I'm sure that, I mean, that was however many years ago, but, and it would be more reformed now and changed. But I think that that representation and that normalization of it is so important for younger people because the instant that it becomes something taboo, like you have to spell it out, um, that's the instant that it becomes othering. And then um, people, like it seems like queer people aren't people or it gets into that when we're learning learning the bigotry and the hatred. Um, So I think that was really important for me. And I'm really passionate, uh, again, like about the representation in writing. And I think looking back, that was a really formative moment for me um, reading that book. So and seeing that. I feel like another big thing is that there are so many stigmas just around like the queer community. And um, I know I was talking to Brayden about this a little bit earlier, (laughs) but um, people use terminology like the word gay as like a bad thing or like they 
I've heard people like shouting in the hallways and stuff as like, I don't know, like as something bad when it's really not. And I guess my question is like, how, how are you working with, you know, your organizations like Joyous Resistance and the Colorado Youth Congress to be able to eliminate these stigmas? Yeah, something in CYC um, that we're really navigating. So we have two campaign focus areas right now that we're focusing on, um, and that's racial justice and mental health. And what we're realizing with these two campaigns, um, I mean, they're very broad, first of all, but the ways that we address the intersections within each of them. Um, and one of the things we've been consistently talking about with mental health in particular, and there's so many intersections with racial justice as well, so they're kind of becoming one campaign. Um, but pretty much is having access to affirming counselors and like psychiatrists in schools. And I think people who feel othered, whether that's because they um, are queer or because they exist at any marginalization, um, the instant that they have a resource or an ally, particularly in schools, that is able to listen, as Brie was talking about, listening is so important, and like support and affirm that is so transformative for young people and all people. Um, so I think that's something that CYC is really striving towards. Um, we're definitely more focused on like the racial justice side of mental health um, and definitely seeking to develop these intersections more, but that's kind of what we're working towards a bit. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, the stigma piece is, is um, very real and right. very present. And um, before starting Joyous Resistance, I was a school social worker mm-hmm. um, and really and like started the GSA at my school mm-hmm. and um, worked with the queer community and the mm-hmm. queer students that I was with. And that's what I was hearing consistently mm-hmm. is that there's not enough like support. There's not enough mm-hmm. education. And through our pilots that we did with young people, that's how we designed all of our programming mm-hmm. for Joyous Resistance. Yeah. It was literally like okay, we need more affirming providers. That was our first wing. Right. Okay, we need more education in school. That was our second mm-hmm. wing. We need more um, adults who can show us different pathways. So that's where our mentorship mm-hmm. program came up. And those were like the three main pieces. Mm-hmm. And I think addressing the stigma is addressing things on all scale levels. So it's on the micro level in disrupting those interactions that you see or hear mm-hmm. and stopping mm-hmm. like discriminatory language and all of those things from happening and also exploring your joy and feeling more comfortable in your identity. Mm. Um, when you are addressing things on the micro level, like that is so important. Mm-hmm. And that is where the most of our control is. Right. Mm. And then when you think about policy level uh, or like the school level, so like what's going on at, with the with the middle level, um, either your school environment, your home environment, your city, your state, whatever you want to see is that. And then there's also, you know, the macro level. And so I think addressing the stigma on all the levels, but not feeling pressure that everyone has to do all of the things all of the time. Right. Because that's like not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's my view of stigma um, is we kind of have to work with it um, at all of the different levels mm-hmm. and also reject that it could necessarily like that that has any bearing on my identity. Like your issues about what you think is okay or moral or whatever it is doesn't have to do anything with how I view my gender or my sexuality. Mm -hmm. Those are two separate Mm -hmm. things. So I think on a more personal level, that's how I think about stigma. And I think that there's a safety consideration that's really important Mm -hmm. there too. That there's, you know, sometimes it's not safe and you can't. And um, 
And even that still doesn't mean anything about your identity. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I appreciate that. I love that because it's, it's really like talking about how being different is okay. And like the labels, like that's part of stigma, I think. I think labels really contribute to stigma. And the only way I found to get around that is owning my label. Like mm-hmm. if you go to any kid in my school and be like, do you know Brayden? And it's like, oh, that gay kid? Like, that's my label. And what I did is I owned it. I got an anklet that says TGK for that gay kid (laughs) because I own my label because it's very difficult to combat stigmas and labels. And that's how our society and our culture works. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, everybody's different and that's okay. And maybe finding, you know, different ways to combat those stigmas at a micro level and those everyday Mm -hmm. interactions you see. Um, And... That comes and that like brings us around to unconventional change. And I know you both were kind of talking about like art and using art to create change. Mm. So I'd like to kind of see how are you using your art to make change? So Brie, we'll start with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think when I hear the word art, I think about creativity and it's like about creative energy. Mm. So whatever that looks like. Sometimes that looks like physical art. Sometimes that looks like um, performance. Sometimes that Mm -hmm. looks like uh, thought. Um, I think creativity uh, is also one of the, like, most foundational values for accessing joy. Um, I was just on a webinar with um, listening to Adrienne Marie Brown, who writes Emergent Strategy, which is, like, amazing if um, y'all are interested. Um, But a lot of their work is based on um, nature Mm -hmm. and how do we like incorporate nature and basically is saying that so much of the solutions that we have are based in or that we can be created from nature. Um, And that's just really resonating with me. And I feel like that's how I think about it. It's like we're used and conditioned to like think within this box of like capitalism and white supremacy and ableism and Mm -hmm. all of the isms that come up and all of the oppression and systems of oppression um and to be like well actually that there's a different world that we could create together and it might not fit into the system and uh People might doubt you, Um, and that's okay because there's for every person that doubts you, there's Mm ten who want to support you and are interested in your journey. And so, that's how I think about change and kind of the role of art or creativity in making change. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, Yeah. it's like all of it at the same time. Right. I love that. Like how you're talking about change is different for every person, and finding what you are best at, finding that like passion you have and using it to create mm-hmm. change. Like you don't have to become the president of the United mm-hmm. States to change the world. Like you can do it in your own community. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Clarice, I know you're talking about, you really mm-hmm. like poetry. Yeah. So how are you using your poetry to mm-hmm. help stop those um, otherings that you were talking yeah. about earlier? Yeah. I think right now I'm in a bit of a, like, I'm very much in myself a bit. Like, I'm not really expressing a lot of my poetry and my work out in the world. Um, However, yeah, so that's where I'm at. But I'm wanting to, like, bridge the gap in actually expressing. I think I'm just kind of overcoming some of the internalized, like, not wanting to share what's 
share with the world or not feeling like it's good enough or not feeling like it fits into these things. Um, Needless to say, though, I think that something I love that you brought up the nature part. I love nature writing. That's probably that's all I write about. Um, Love nature so incredibly much. Um, And I'm just I'm thinking that what poetry has taught me and like what I learned from being a writer in the writing process um, I think listening is like a big part of what an observation. I think those are two big parts of being a writer is you need to really be observant. And so I think, of course, I've been doing that in my writing and my art. But I also think like with CYC, um, it's really helped me bring those skills into a community setting. And um, I think organizing is an art. I think we're kind of always redefining what art is. Community is art. And I'm really interested and in, with CYC, um, getting more art involved. Something that we do at the start of every program year is people tell their stories of self, which is like a two-minute kind of presentation, not presentation, um, but you're telling a story about what's important to you. And I feel like you kind of started with the story of self um, at the beginning of the podcast. And that sharing and that listening, I mean, that's really artful and brings the community together and we create this microcosm of what we want the world to be. And I think that's what's so wonderful about art. And that's what you were saying, Brie, is it creates this microcosm of the future that we know is possible and we want to be made. Um, So that's what I'm really interested in and continually striving towards. It's definitely ideal and can't always actualize it. So I'm definitely striving to do that more. But yeah. And I love what you said about, you know, making that change within yourself mm-hmm. because you can't go out and change the world if you're not exactly like a hundred percent with you. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with making change within yourself. Like everybody's got to start there. Mm-hmm. And if that's what you, if that's all you focus on is change within yourself, you're inspiring other people. Mm-hmm. Other people see that. Like, like Brie was saying is, you know, you have that one person who's hating you and doubting you, but you have those Mm -hmm. 10 people who are supporting you. So people see that Mm -hmm. change within yourself and that's inspiring them. So even like changing yourself can still change the world. Mm -hmm. I guess another thing I was also just kind of thought of was, do you think like everybody has some form of outlet to express their identity? That's like a physical form almost Mm -hmm. like whether that be nature or art, because your identity might be, you know, your sexuality, um, your race, your nationality. But I think also beyond that, there are like some physical components. There's art, there's dancing, there's, I don't know, everybody just has something, even if it's just a hobby, I feel like sometimes it's even more than that. Mm. Brie, how have you used, you know, like you mentioned nature and stuff. How is that, is that an outlet for you? Is that something that you use to express your identity? Hmm. I would say that that's where I go to be more in alignment with my identity. Yeah. 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 Not as much that it like, it's, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's uh, both. <laughs> like it does yeah. both of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there's the way that I express that and then the way that I sit with it, you know? So an expressive piece of that might be dancing or it might be putting something down, journaling on paper, you know, whatever that looks like. Um, having a conversation with a friend that feels really in-depth, whatever that might present as. Um, And then there's kind of this whole other side of, like, how do I get grounded in myself or feel connected to my purpose, to my sense of self? Um, And usually nature will kind of help along, like, that journey. Yeah, Yeah. I completely agree. Um, 
And yeah, I feel like you bring up the important tension is like, I think so often we don't have places where we can fully be ourselves. Like, of course, we have the people that we can fully be ourselves around. We can be ourselves in nature. And I think everyone has that place, but just not everyone has had the opportunity to find that place or feel safe enough to strive to find that place. Um, So that's like the ideal. That's the goal. We want everyone to feel safe and held and have at least one place, if not multitudes of places where they can fully just be themselves. Um, I think it's so interesting to feel like for me that the times when I am truly myself is like when I am alone, which is such a a point of contention because it's like I want to be myself around the people I love. And to an extent, I am like I am 95% of myself, but I feel like being alone in nature, just alone in a museum, I don't know, is when I truly am able to be myself. Um, Yeah, and I think, yeah, I'll just end that there. (laughs) No, I love that. Thank you guys so much for sharing and being open about that. Mm -hmm. All right, I just want to transition a little bit, and you both mentioned mentorship a little bit, and I kind of want to touch on that, and how can, let me see how to phrase this. Okay, with mentorship, how can we inspire, like, can Gen Z inspire those after us or millennials mm. inspire Gen Z to create change through unconventional mm. means? I think I was reading over some of the questions that you all sent um, in preparation for this interview, and I was just really excited about this intergenerational aspect of it. And I think a part that I was really musing on and thinking about is how much we can learn from the people who have come before us. And I didn't even think about what we can show the people who are younger than us. Um, And I'm just thinking about, like, if I was growing up in this world, if I'm, like, a young five-year-old person um, in just a world that feels so apocalyptic um, and also so freed with opportunities and, like, freed to new realizations of identity, I feel like so much has happened since I was five, um, specifically in regards to the queer community, um... I feel like I'm just so impressed with younger people because they're navigating so much, it seems like. So I guess I don't know what sort of advice or what sort of change-making advice I'd want to give to them. I'm just kind of in awe. Um, I kind of want to think about that a little bit, and I'd like to hear what you have to say, Brie, and then maybe muse more. Yeah. I think the beauty in it is that everyone's a mentor and a mentee at all times. Mm -hmm. Like, there is no way that you can interact with people. Um, That is not, you know, impacting them and you. Um, There's this quote. Let me pull it up because I feel like that's super relevant to what we're talking about right now. Um, All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. And the only lasting truth is change, which is Octavia Butler. And that's who Adrienne Marie Brown, like, bases their work off of. Um, But I feel like that's really true. And so when I think about mentorship, I think about like eliminating all of the ways that we've thought about mentorship before as like an older person, like providing this advice and insight Mm -hmm. and all of these like, you know, kind of a, I'm depositing this information like Mm -hmm. to you. And instead thinking about what can we learn from each other and leverage each Mm -hmm. other's strengths, which going back to nature and like beehives and anthills and all kinds of things where people or species come together Mm -hmm. to like work towards a mission Mm -hmm. together knowing their roles and knowing their strengths and also being able to like take the lead and um, take the backseat when necessary, like to do both of those things to move forward. So when I think about mentorship, I think about people who are willing to be in relationship with other people in a respectful and like genuine, authentic way. Mm. 
And that's, I think, if you have that connection point, there's no way that you can connect with someone and then just be like, oh, yeah, I don't care about you or your future or anything else if you're doing it in a genuine way. And if there was more of that, change would happen without, Mm -hmm. you know, would happen automatically. Yeah. yeah, I completely yeah. agree. I feel like oftentimes mentorship is seen as like an adult and a youth and mainly the adult being the mentor. But I think especially on our podcast, our goal is intergenerational storytelling. And it's not just for generations older than us, but also for those mm-hmm. younger than us. And it goes both ways, not just one. Yeah. So we're hoping that, you know, we can bring to light that Gen Z can make just as much of an impact as, you know, the older generations and vice versa. Yeah, they already are. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the thing that struck me with what you were saying and what I was thinking in my head and not articulating very well is like dissolving hierarchy and being humble and willing to listen and learn is so important to being a mentor and a mentee and going in between those identities. So, right. I love and that really comes into like the idea of leadership Mm -hmm. is knowing your strengths, knowing your weaknesses. And like Bree said, when you knowing when to take that back seat and when to take that leadership position. And and that's more of like the mentorship thing that I think we're all trying to get at is being a leader and sharing those experiences. Because we said on last episode, we were talking about how leaders need to be open about their experiences. And I think that's an also a very important part. Um, so as we wrap up here, we're going to do our call to action. So... What's a message you would tell young people who may identify with your story? I think I would say, like, I see you and I love you. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> like, I really can't even think yeah. of anything else necessarily that I would say besides, like, yeah, I see yeah. you and I love mm. you. I think that's good. I feel like everybody yeah. just sometimes needs a little pat on the back mm-hmm. of recognition. Yeah. Um, I think something that I've been navigating recently is just making space for all the emotions um, and not trying to like move quickly through feeling an emotion or anything like that, but instead just being with that feeling. And that is super uncomfortable. Um, And I would just love to offer the guidance that there's so many emotions that we have to navigate and don't rush the process of feeling, like feel each one of them. And they are valid and it is wonderful to have the space and make that space for yourself to really be open to all of those. And, and then um, being a part of the Colorado Youth mm-hmm. Congress, how would you tell youth to take action? What mm-hmm. advice would you give them? Yeah, Um, Something that CYC has just completely shifted about what it means to create change. Usually, like when I came in, I was thinking, oh, we need to shift the policy. We need to shift that. We do. That's definitely necessary. Yeah, I think our future, I don't know. I just am continually losing faith in policy, which is me being cynical. I know there's wonderful people working in there. So something I want to advice I want to give. We don't need to be cynical. Love-based, community-based change, finding communities of people who share your values and your hopes for the world and want to create a world that's similar to your vision and meeting together to be yourselves and grow together in that way. That's what CYC has been for me and what I'm going to take with me from thenceforth from here on out is what it means to be a community member, what it means to listen and that reciprocity. And I think having community is is where our future is and is what's most important to create change. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so yeah. much for sharing. And Bree, how would you call other adults to action about what we talked about today? Um, what would you like to see adults do different or maybe just keep doing? We just got to get it together. You yeah. Know? We, really, we really do. <laughs> um, 
<clears throat> I think I would be, I would say, like, don't be afraid to, if the only thing that you can do is listen, then do that mm. and do that well. And that means, like, read people you read from people that you would normally wouldn't mm. follow a bunch of people on social media um, talk to people both in your personal life and in other spaces mm. um, and remain open to how that will change you I think when we let like adults especially really let their egos like get mm. in the way of learning anything from other people um, so yeah that's what I would say because it's really not about like yeah. the young people are already doing the work you can see it it's happening. There's nothing that I need to do to uh, to um, change that other than how say, how can I support mm. and kind Love. of growing there. So good. Thank you so much, Brian and Clarice, for joining us today. I honestly really appreciated listening to your stories. And I think especially talking about change in the LGBTQ plus community, it was really insightful to learn about that and get those takeaways for future conversations. Yes, thank you guys so much for being here and being so open. It's been great talking to you guys, so thank you. Thank you so much. This was really revelatory, and I can't wait to think about this for many weeks to come. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's so lovely to share like space with all of you. Yes. Thank you for letting me be here. Um, Brayden and I just wanted to take a minute to reflect a little bit on our conversation and talk about how each individual brought something different. I loved how Bree talked about youth and adults working together in a new way, you know, redefining that mentorship. And it's not just like being a leader and saying, here's what we're doing, but it's also about that self-reflection and sharing your own journey is also a form of leadership and mentorship because other people can grow and learn from that. You know, and I agree. And I think oftentimes with like younger kids, I know Brie brought up that it's important to just like listen to them. And as much as youth and adults can work together and sometimes the adult ends up being the mentor, I think it's equally as important for the youth to be that mentor and kind of steer the conversation and talk about themselves rather than learning about something new. Talk about their own identity. Right. I really like that. And kids really do have a grasp on their own identity. And I think a lot of issues come from when adults try and tell kids, like, here is your identity and here's what you're going to be. And I think being able to just sit down and listen to the kid talk about who they are is super important and a huge aspect of that leadership and mentorship and mentee. And like you said, it really runs both ways um, in, in regards to a mentorship relationship. And I loved, I loved that story you shared about your brother, um, like asking, like, "Hey, what is what is gay?" Because you know it might be a bad word. And I think Bree's response was super interesting, and it really stuck out to me about how it's never no kid is ever too young to talk about these issues. Like my brother, the other a couple weeks ago, I I came out to him by accident. It was super funny because I was just telling a joke right, about me being gay, and he heard it. So a couple weeks ago, he asked me, he goes, hey, when did you choose to be gay? And that's like a really, that's a really interesting question because a lot of people think, you know, queer identifying people choose to be who they are. And I responded with my usual, like, well, when did you choose to be straight? And he says, about two years ago. And I just thought it was so funny. But then it made me think about, like, hey, this is how he grew up. Like, this is what he thinks. So when he asked, you know, 
when did you choose to be gay? It really made me think, you know, if we had discussed this earlier and he had kind of realized, like, everybody is different and they didn't choose to be different. You know, every straight person is born different. Every gay person is born different. Every queer identifying person is born different. And if we were able to have that conversation earlier, I feel like that would be super beneficial. Yeah, I agree. I feel like, um, like you said about the identity thing and for younger kids to be able to understand their identity, I feel like they need to be able to have that almost that opportunity or outlet to be able to do that. And I know they talked about poetry and nature being maybe a part of that outlet and Clarice specifically talked about her daily delight practice. And I think it's great for youth out there to be able to listen to that and take away that there might be something in your life, whether that is, I don't know, whether that's writing, whether that's dancing, whether that's singing, that you can implement into your identity. And I feel like all those things combined with your experiences really make you who you are. Thank you so much for listening to our conversation with Brie and Clarice. If you're interested in learning more about our guests, you can find out more on the CYO website. Today's episode of Generation Collaboration was engineered and edited by David Layden. This show is produced by David Layden and Lauren Steve Pack. Generation Collaboration is a co-production of Colorado Young Leaders and Youth on Record. Our theme song, Find It, was recorded at Youth on Record by Esme Patterson with Johnny Five from Flowbots, Ian Cook, and members of the Youth on Record community. You can learn more about Colorado Young Leaders at coloradoyoungleaders.org or on Instagram and TikTok at CO Young Leaders. Learn more about Youth on Record and their programs at youthonrecord.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Youth on Record. Support of our podcast comes from Civico, an organization activating civic-minded leaders across Colorado. Learn more at livecivico.org. Thank you again for listening to Generation Collaboration. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can listen to this podcast on the Colorado Young Leaders website or wherever you get your podcast. Until then, I'm Sanakshi. And I'm Brayden. And we will see you next time on Generation Collaboration.